to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. So we're, we're in a conversation that we're calling influencers, or we're getting towards the end of it. It's been a while that we've been in this book called Hebrews, specifically chapter 11. And if you haven't noticed it seems like we've jumped from the conversation of influence to faith. In fact, many people have wondered, why are we having faith conversations? I thought we were having influence conversations. Well, the fact of the matter is, is that whatever you put your faith in will determine what you influence. And it will also determine how you influence and what influences you. See, if you're going to impact character, if you're going to impact someone's life, if you're going to impact someone's thought process, their development, their behavior of someone or something, the definition of influence, you're going to need to actually see the unseen. You're going to have to see what other people can't see and then move into that space with conviction and passion and purpose. See, for example, if you're committed to being an influence for good in the world, you actually have to have faith that goodness exists. And you have to trust that if you give your life towards goodness, then that's actually going to make an impact in the people around you. See, whatever you put your faith in determines what you influence, but it also determines what influences you. And in turn, it then determines what you give away to the world and the impact that you have on other people. Have you ever had a bad day and then you go to work? And yes, you've had a bad day. I know that. Well, that wasn't the question. But have you ever had a bad day and then you go to work or you go to school or you come home and other people aren't having a bad day and you're frustrated that they aren't having a bad day? You know what I'm talking about? Because if you're having a bad day, then they should be having a bad day. <laughs> Likewise, have you ever had like a really great day and you walk into a negative environment and everyone's down and you're thinking, y'all need to get your space up. You know, like you need to lift your hearts up. You need to get your face up. You need to lift your spirits up. Because whatever we put our faith in, whatever we engage in, whatever we put our trust in, we impact other people with that. That's why when we're having a bad day, everyone should have a bad day. That's why when we're having a good day, everyone should have a good day. Because what we put our faith in, what we put our trust in, will determine how we impact the world around us. And so today's influencer in this chapter is a little different. Because up until now, they've all been who's. We've had Moses and Enoch and Abel and all these greats of the faith. Today is actually a, a what or maybe a when as we shift the conversation. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 30, it says this. By faith. The walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. So we're going to talk about this moment where there was this very bizarre military victory that took place in the scriptures. You know, in many ways, engaging this journey of faith is a personal one. It's one that involves you and God and you and God alone in some way, shape, or form in the middle of that. It's not something that you inherit from others. Faith isn't something that you are gifted from some other person. It's something that you get to develop and create and are engaged in at an individual level. 
Sometimes people come to me and think that I have some like superpower as a pastor that was zapped onto me or handed down from my father or something like that. That's not the case. At some point, I had to make my own decision to put my trust into something and to elevate my own conversation about who God is and decide that my life would be better in his hands than in my own hands. And so faith is both something that we are gifted by God and then we develop as we take risks, as we put our trust out there, as we engage in faith and elevate our life from that perspective. But just because it's personal doesn't mean it's also communal. There's a both personal and communal act when it comes to engaging and developing and elevating our faith. I remember when I went to Brazil and uh, I was engaging different communities in the country and one of the things that I thought was so strange was they had this beverage called mate, yerba mate to be more specific. And it was this tea drink that also had the caffeine of coffee that tasted a little bit like grass cuttings. But everyone, everyone carried around a little clay mug of yerba mate on Sundays or on Saturdays or when they got together and they would brew it at home and put a tinfoil lid on it and everyone had their own special straw. And it was so fascinating to me because I remember showing up to a Sunday morning gathering similar to this and Several people had their own cup of yerba mate, and I watched as people would just walk up to someone, take the drink out of their hand, and take a sip, and hand it right back. And then they'd go to someone else, and they'd grab their drink, take a sip, and hand it right back. Good thing it was not 2020, because that would have been a mess. <laughs> but it was fascinating to me, this communal drink that they had, that Every single person had their own mate that they brewed at their house that was for them, and yet at the same time, anyone could come up and drink out of the personal communal mate drink. And I thought, oh, this is so much like faith, that we're responsible for creating our own cup of mate. We're, create, we're responsible for developing our own faith, our own belief, our own trust, our own elevated thinking when it comes to who God is and how we engage in him. And yet it is a communal experience that impacts and influences so much more than just me. That it gets passed around a community and refreshes the soul and enlivens us and energizes us as we engage in that. And so living by faith, while it is a personal journey, it is a communal experience that we get to engage in with one another. Have you ever been in the presence of someone who just has bigger faith than you? who can challenge you to bigger risks, who says, let's go take the mountain. Let's go make it happen. Let's go step out into the unknown. There's something invigorating about that, especially when it's in the context of a community like this. And this moment in the scriptures involves the faith of a community together. Let's be honest. Have you ever felt like people were just holding you back? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you look out and you just think, my team at work is completely holding me back. Or if it wasn't for my family, I would be able to do so much more. Or if it wasn't for my crazy friends, or if it wasn't for my small group or whatever it may be, I could move so much further faster. I think people actually even feel that way with the church at sometimes. That, that if I was to engage my faith in the context of community, it drags me down that somehow it, it lessens my creativity, it lowers my uniqueness, that I don't get to engage life the way that I long for. In fact, in our modern culture, it seems to be a trend that you somehow elevate your way out of needing to gather together because people will weigh you down and they will actually keep you from living the life that you were designed to live. Now, here's my confession with this. 
I actually love going places alone. I know that sounds strange. I'm an extrovert, but my wife can tell you one of my most favorite things is just to go to the movies by myself, no one else there. I, I, you know, people are always talking about it's the bravest thing to go sit at a restaurant by yourself and eat by yourself. I love it. I absolutely love it. In fact, after this gathering, I am going to LA and I'm going to see a Broadway show by myself. <laughs> My wife, I wanted to go see the show. It's closing night tonight out in LA at the Amundsen. And I said, honey, do you want to go? She said, absolutely not. And I said, can I go by myself? She said, yes, honey, go at it. And it's going to be the best thing tonight. <laughs> But you know, even as much as I love going to the movies by myself or having a dinner alone or going to a theater by myself, there's something about it afterwards that I think, oh, oh, I wish I could have had that person there. I wish we could have shared that experience. Or, or that, that, that meal was so awesome, I don't have no one to share it with. Or, or that, that was such a, an elevated experience and now I have no one else in my life to share this memory with. And so as much as I love to move really fast and to, to enjoy experiences really quickly by myself, there's something that's always missing in the midst of the loneliness that comes with it. See, it would be easier to travel alone if you want to get there quickly, but if you want to spend a lifetime of faith and have a lifetime of influence and have a lifetime that moves your life forward, it actually requires you to go with other people. It requires you to be connected to a community that is moving with you. And this is very contrary to everything that we're told in our culture. In fact, it is a dangerous thing to hitch your life to another human being, let alone a community, let alone an organization of people that come together to elevate something as a community. Now, God in the scriptures actually says that he does give different measures of faith. So there are certain people that, that just are, are more apt to take risk. They're, they're more apt to go out there and take the mountain. They're more apt to go out and do something big that, that just is risky and scary and seems to defy the odds. But here's the thing, whatever faith God has gifted you, whatever faith that exists inside of you is actually not for you. It's so that you and your faith can actually carry the community. It's so that you and the faith and the trust that has been developed within you can elevate a people group, not just your own personal experience. And this is what we see so beautifully here in this passage in Joshua around this wall of Jericho. In Joshua chapter six, starting in verse one, it says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings, its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with priests blowing their trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. I love how, how God starts this conversation off with, with Joshua because he says, hey, Joshua, come here. You see this city? And I love that it actually says, it starts out with saying, that the gates were securely barred. No one went in and out. So, so here's God saying, Joshua, come here. You see this city whose gates are securely barred? And you see all those men on top with weapons? And you see all those kings who have giant warriors who are ready to defend this city? And you see those giant walls that are surrounding the city? Guess what? Can you see I've delivered it to you? And I'm sure Joshua's like, sure, right? <laughs> sure. 
I, I don't know if Joshua fully saw it in that moment, but God invited him to see it in that moment. Here's what I love about this faith journey that God invites us into, is that God starts calling things out as if they were true before they are actually true. That he says, look, this city whose big gates are barred and whose walls are thick and whose warriors are ready to fight you, can't you see? It's delivered. And he expected Joshua in that moment to see what he could not see. And Joshua's willingness to see that the city had already been delivered to him, even though the gates were barred, even though the warriors were there, even though the kings were in place, even though the walls were thick, his willingness to see it was what allowed him to pick up his trumpets and march around the city as if it was actually true. See, your willingness to see what God has already declared over your life will determine the future that you step into because if you can't see it, you're certainly not gonna pick up the trumpets and start marching. But see, God starts speaking things as if they were true before they are ever true in our own sight. And he elevates our sight in these moments. And so it continues. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets out in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The arms guards marched ahead of the priests who blew trumpets and the rear guard followed the Ark. And at this time, the trumpets were sounding. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout, then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Weird military strategy, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. The reputation of the Israelites had already gone out, and they were the winners. I mean, people were like, yeah, we don't touch these guys. They're the guys who have the ark of the Lord who was filled with his presence that if you even touch the thing, you die. So they have the upper hand. And the word had gotten out on the streets that these were the guys not to fight. These were the guys that you don't mess with. These were the guys that you do not get into battle with, that God himself was on their side. So if you're going to fight anyone, you do not fight the Israelites. And here the priests and the musicians come with musical instruments, with trumpets, and they start marching around the city. And they do the same thing every day. Now, I don't know what their thought was, but it would be very strange for them looking at Joshua going, you sure this is the military strategy? I mean, we have weapons, right? We, we, we have warriors. We can totally do this thing. And he said, nope. I just want you to go out there and do this. No wartime behavior, no war cries. You're not, you're not even out there able to flex your muscles, you know? All he says was, we just need some orchestration. Can we get some background music here? While we march around the city, blowing our trumpets in the middle of this moment. See, this went against everything that these warriors had known about how to win a war. It went against every strategy that had developed. It went against everything from their history that had told them how to win. It had went against every bit of evidence that informed them of how you actually take over a city. Because here's the thing, the moment you start relying on old strategies for new victories, you've lost. The moment that you start going back and saying, well, this worked last year, 
This worked the last time I was in trouble. This worked 20 years ago when my marriage was falling apart. Or this worked five years ago when my finances were a mess. Or this worked last year when I was an anxious mess. See, because sometimes your greatest weakness and liability in life is actually knowing how you won and relying on past strategies in modern battles to move forward and to get through. See, your winning strategies from the past will be insufficient to fight tomorrow's battles. You cannot keep going back through your victories of the past, relying on them to get you through the momentary battle that God is calling you into. And when you are connected to the voice of God, when your life is living in faith, connected to him, he will give you new strategies and he will give you new actions and he will give you new thought processes and he will be giving you new victory plans to fight the battle that's right in front of you. And here's the thing. Usually, whatever victory strategy God gives you in the moment for the war that is right in front of you, for the battle that you are fighting right now, it will look bizarre. You will look at it and go, this seems crazy. It's those moments where you're like, hey, I'm broke, and God's like, I want you to give. It's those moments where your heart is broken in two, and he says, hey, I want you to forgive. It's those moments where you want to run, and everything inside of you says, get out of here as quickly as possible. And he says, no, I want you to actually stay and love. It will seem crazy. It will seem completely out of the ordinary of everything that you've known in that moment. But see, this, this moment in the life of the Israelites was a critical and very unique moment. Because what we know about this moment is that everyone that had known Moses, the great Moses that we talked about last week, everyone who saw him hit a rock and have water come from it, everyone that saw him rain down 12 plagues on Pharaoh, everyone that had watched him part the Red Sea and have the Israelites walk across on it, everyone who had experienced that and knew Moses was dead. And there was no one who had experienced a move of God like that in the entire nation. See, they had heard about all the amazing things that God had done. They had heard about all the incredible miracles that had taken place in the nation. They had tasted and seen from their ancestors, from their great-grandmothers, from their grandmothers, from their parents before. But this generation... All they knew was a rumor about God's power. All they knew was stories from 10 years ago when God did something really powerful back then. See, we know this because the fathers of this generation didn't even bother to pass on their faith. See, Joshua actually had to go around and circumcise all of the young men because the fathers had even like failed to pass down some of the basic practices of the faith at that time. And so there was a whole generation who all they knew was stories about God had moved in the past. See, there's something that happens to our souls when your faith starts relying on stories from the past about how God had moved. Then living right here and right now, trusting that God will move in the present and that he will shift the future that is in front of us. See, when the good old days are more attractive than the days that are in front of us, we have already lost. When we are looking back saying, how can we get back there? How can we get back to that space? I hear that so much right now. As our world is changing and transforming and things are not the way they used to be, I, I hear it in our language. 
how do we get back to 2019? How do we get back to when the world was not crazy? How do we get back when things were easier and they were more beautiful and God moved? See, because that informs us is that there's not a belief or a trust that God can move and that he will move and that our future will be exponentially more beautiful than anything that has come in our past. See, this is such a, a powerful moment because even in this moment, God has cut off what was known as the manna in the Israelites' life. See, up until this moment, they had all, the, all like had their dinner, breakfast, lunch, it just rained down from heaven, right? There was no need to like go to Chili's after service. It was like just there. Could you imagine just walking down the parking lot, there's a quail dinner, right? That was how it worked. But now God's like even like, no, we're not even doing this manna thing anymore. Everything's changing. It's a whole new season. Everything's being transformed in the moment. He was saying it is not enough to rely on yesterday's faith. It will be insufficient to take you into the promised land. See, and it's interesting, before this even happened, there's this moment with Joshua in Joshua chapter five, starting in verse 13, when he was about to go to Jericho. And it says, now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, which is kind of a scary answer, right? <laughs> but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does the Lord have for his servants? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. See, Joshua and this angel have this conversation, which actually probably was a earlier representation of Jesus here in this moment, is the angel of the Lord. And he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And he says, I'm not for anyone. I'm neutral in this battle here. But here's the thing, is that Joshua couldn't even recognize that he was standing on holy ground, that the angel had to tell him, take off your sandals, because he didn't recognize that the ground that he was walking on was holy. See, there was a whole generation of people who heard rumors about God and now today could not recognize when God was actually moving. And so there was this new thing that God had to do in them to birth a new faith so that they could actually step into the promised land. And so here they are marching around the city six times, blowing their trumpets. And in chapter 15 of chapter six, it says, or verse 15 of chapter six, it says, on the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout for the Lord God has given you the city, the city and all that is in it to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute, who we'll talk about next week, and all who were with her in the house shall be spared because she hid the spies well, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and irons are sacrificed to the Lord and must go into his treasury. And when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and the sound of the trumpet, when the man gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. See, what had happened for six days was God had shaken the hearts of the Israelites. He had shaken their hearts saying, will you have faith that what I say is going to work in this moment will actually work? 
Will you believe that when I tell you to walk around a city six times, as crazy as it sounds, as inconvenient as it is, as outlandish as it may seem to you in the moment, are you willing to step out in faith and do this? And he shook their hearts in that moment and the airwaves were shaken by the trumpets, but their faith was being shaken in this process. It was being elevated in this moment to prepare them for what was about to happen that only God himself could have done this miracle here. See, God was actually driving Israel back to their source. And their source was worship. I wonder how many of us have failed to recognize that our strength and our faith is actually birthed and formed and kept in worship. See, what I, what I know about human beings is that we were actually designed to worship, that your soul was created for that, that everywhere we go, we, we don't have a choice but to worship. You can't get away from that. In fact, I was having a conversation with someone just the other day, and they, they were, they're not a believer in Jesus and cynical towards the movement of Jesus. And they said, you know, I just, I don't believe in worship services, and I said, tell me about it. And he goes, well, you know, it's like the same experience that you have when you go to a concert. Mars Volta played here last night. I'm sure it was a great concert. And I'm sure there was all people around here lifting their hands and jumping around and having a good time. They probably worshiped harder than we worshiped this morning. <gasps> and I, and I, I, see, I was listening to him. I said, yeah, you know, he said, you can get that same ecstatic, eccentric experience in a concert with a couple hundred people. You don't need God for that. And I told him, no, that's actually proof that we were designed to worship. That our souls, it keeps echoing inside of us. That we will worship something. That, that the second an invitation to worship is made, the human spirit obliges. And whether that is a concert or God, we will bow down to something. We will give ourselves to something and it will elevate us to whatever that God allows us to be elevated towards. See, I think for most of us, we think of worship. When we talk about worship, we think of it as singing. In fact, we even talk like, oh, we have our worship time, and then we have a talk time, and then we have lunch time, right? And there's different times that we have. But worship actually is not singing. It is an aspect of worship. But the word worship comes from this Greek word proskuneo, which actually means to lay everything down. It's an act of surrender, Worship is an act of saying, hey, I take everything inside of me and I just lay it down before God. You get all, every single part of me, you get every aspect, you get every element, you get every thought, you get every emotion, you get every part of my body, you get every action. All of it gets released to you and in the act, we worship. Now there's an important aspect of coming together to sing because here's the thing, if you can't sing and worship here, it's gonna be very hard to lay anything down outside of here. It's gonna be very difficult to leave here and go, hey, I'm willing to lay stuff down at home if I'm not willing to lay stuff down here in a space where a bunch of people are coming together to lift our voices up to God. And that's why we gather together because this is a training ground for what to do when life gets out of control. This is a training ground for what to do when life starts spinning out of our grasp. And Jericho was an out of control moment for the Israelites because they come to this city and it's fortified with the gates secured, kings ready, and military all set up. There was no way that they should have been able to take down this city. See, where do you go 
when your life gets out of control. See, I don't know about you, but where I usually go is I become way more controlling. <laughs> Anyone know, you know what I'm talking about? When things get out of control in my life, I get way more controlling. In fact, I have a litmus test that lets me know how out of control I feel in a moment, and it is how much I start cleaning at my house. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm like loosey-goosey and everything's fine and life's good, the kids can leave some toys here. There can be some things out there. We can leave the toothpaste out on the counter. When life's out of control, those go away. I can tell you, I start going around the house, who left these shoes out and who left the crayon here and why is the toilet paper just an inch further than where it should be and, and why did we leave toothpaste on the counter and why aren't the beds made? Because I attempt to control everything in my life that I can control because life feels so out of control. And so I go into this extra control mode and we start beating on the walls of Jericho when life feels out of control. We just, maybe if I hit the walls, Maybe if I start pounding at them with an ax that I could find myself in, maybe if I start going at it, maybe if I start using some of my old strategies to get into the walls, then maybe it'll work. But here's the thing, you will find yourself just exhausted and angry and frustrated because no matter what you do, it will not work. The walls will not fall down. You will find yourself beating at the walls until your hands are bloody trying to get through when we are unwilling to just surrender to an act of worship. See, worship is a declaration to your soul and to the world, I'm out of control. I actually have no power at all to transform this situation. It's one of the things I love about recovery programs is because one of the first thing is just recognizing I have no power here, that I'm incapable of having this transform on my own. It's an act of worship. See, the walls did not go down because there was a structural insecurity in the walls and that somehow the trumpets took advantage of that structural insecurity. The walls came down because the Israelites recognized they were out of control. And in that moment, they chose to worship a God who was. And in that moment, Everything transformed. See, there are walls in your life that you have been beating at, trying to get down, longing that they would fall, trying to figure out how do I take these down? I know you do because I do. And there are walls around our hearts and our minds and our spirits that maybe some of you for years have been trying to get down and that you have been doing everything inside of your power to get them to fall. And maybe today what God is saying is, would you listen to me and would you worship? Would you be willing to lay down all of the winning strategies from the past and for just one moment connect to people and praise? Because that is a winning formula every single time to get the walls down. See, there are walls in your life that you cannot outsmart. There are walls in your life that you cannot outwork there are walls in your life that no amount of money or success or purpose will ever take down. That they will be there no matter what. See, this was a moment where the Israelites needed to live in a moment of awe and wonder. Where they needed to look at these walls and go, how on earth did that happen? That is only an act of God. See, God actually wants to do a miracle in your life 
to have walls fall down with the act of worship, but it requires you to first believe that if you keep marching and following and worship, that that is what is needed. See, it happened because the Israelites worshiped in faith in light of what God had spoken over them. And they kept faithful in the moment. And they had this secret weapon with them, the Ark of the Lord. See, this Ark, which we know from Indiana Jones, of course, was this box. And inside the box carried all kinds of icons, relics from the past that reminded the Israelites of how God had shown up time after time after time after time. Within it was was a museum curated to remind the Israelites that God had been faithful over and over and over again. And it symbolized the presence of God being with them. That if the ark was with them, the presence of God was with them because it constantly reminded them. Remember that time when God showed up? Remember that other time when you thought everything was falling apart and God showed up again? Remember that other time when you were certain you were going to die and then God showed up? And when it went before them, it was this declaration that God shows up. And not only does he show up, but he has shown up right here and right now. And that with that, as they journeyed through the wilderness, that God showed up in these pillars of fire and these pillars of clouds with this ark, demonstrating that his presence was with them everywhere that they went. And as long as they stayed connected to that ark, to the presence of God, his power and his presence would move with them and for them and elevate whatever they were putting their hands onto. The worst thing that you could ever do in your life The worst place that you could ever find yourself in is not in the presence of enemies. The worst place that you could ever find yourself is not in the middle of darkness. It's not in the shadow, in the valley of the shadow of death. The worst place that you could ever find yourself in is outside of the presence of God. See, the beautiful thing about connecting to the presence of God in worship is that you can actually venture into any territory, into any space, You can come up against any wall and know that victory has already been declared. That when you go into those places of darkness and hopelessness and despair and areas where you have tried over and over and over again, it is God with you saying, see, I have already delivered it into your hands. Can you see it? Are you willing to see it right in front of you? See, when you worship, everywhere you go is sacred space. This is why everywhere you go, we should take off our shoes because this is holy ground. But it only works when you walk with God. I remember, gosh, almost 12 years ago, coming into this building for the very first time. That we moved here from a warehouse in Chino, which I don't know why that was sacred, but we moved here. (laughs) And... It was so fascinating that we, we walked into this space and our very first Sunday was uh, following a Snoop Dogg concert on Saturday night. And so we got a call from Maria Tarazzi, who was actually the house manager of the Fox at that time. And she said, you're gonna need a lot of Febreze. <laughs> because um, some people had gotten high in a different way on Saturday night. <laughs> and so we Febreze the place down and we set the place up and as people walked in, there was this hesitancy of how are we going to worship in a, in a club? How, how are we going to worship in a space where the night before people were drunk out of their minds and high and falling on the floor, doing all kinds of things in here? And, 
See, what I love about this is that no matter what happened here last night, this is now holy ground because the presence of God is with us. That everywhere you put your foot when you are connected to his presence becomes a winning battleground because he is with you. And this is why I think gathering together is so important. See, sometimes I think people think gathering together, it's like, whether it's like a humanity group during the week or on Sunday morning, it's like, yeah, do I want coffee or not? Do I want to gather or not? All kinds of conversations. But here's the thing, is that when we gather together, we collectively create holy ground that ripples out and breaks down walls because we came together and we worshiped. But it only works when you walk with God. See, some of us need to stop accessing God like an ATM. Like the second we hit a wall, we're like, where are you, God? I need you. Rather than seeing the wall and hearing God's voice clearly say, it's already been delivered into your hands. You're good to go. Just walk with confidence and know that your worship will be enough abiding in him. So the question before us is, who are you worshiping? I guarantee you, you are worshiping something or someone. And will you worship in a way that shakes the faith inside of you in such a way that you gather together to break down every wall in front of you? By the way, this only works if you're connected to the voice of God, listening to his instructions over your life. I remember a few years ago, I was walking around downtown and there was a guy who was walking around one of the buildings downtown with a shofar, like a giant trumpet. It's like an like a old Israelite trumpet. And he was blowing it. You know, you could hear it all over the city. And, uh, and I, w- I went up to him and I was like, hey, bro, what, was, what you doing over there, you know? <laughs> and he said, I'm marching around this building. And I said, awesome. Why are you marching around the building blowing a trumpet? And he said, because... We're going to take this ground. And, and I thought, okay. He said, we're doing this seven times every single day for seven days, and this building's going to be ours. Well, in seven days, the building wasn't his. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't blame his faith. I, I love that he actually had the guts to go out and do this. But here's the thing. Sometimes when God has moved in the past, even in these powerful ways, we think that it's a universal principle. That if we just go around our house blowing a horn, that somehow the walls are gonna fall down of anxiety. Or if we go around and, you know, march seven times and scream, then everything's gonna come back into alignment. See, the universal principle here is worshiping a God who declares victory over your life and then acting on it. Being willing to give yourself fully to whatever it is he says, to sacrifice whatever he calls you to sacrifice, to give up whatever he calls you to sacrifice. And you know, you know what I find in our culture is the most difficult thing to sacrifice is our schedule. Like, will I just say, hey, this is, this is most important. I, I give myself to you because whatever you worship will determine what influences you and it will determine the power that you hold. And so as we step into this place, I want you to ask, when I hear from God, what do I do with it? Do I allow it to influence me? Do I allow it to move and worship within me? Some things we already know about God, and so we can just act on those things. But there are areas in your life where God's gonna call you into some crazy, courageous acts. That when you you look at those walls, you're gonna be like, all right, God, 
What's the strategy here? And he's gonna say, make the phone call and ask for forgiveness. And you're gonna look at that like the Israel looked at blowing these trumpets. God's gonna say, hey, I need you to sacrifice this thing in your life that feels sacred for the sake of my kingdom. And it's gonna feel crazy to you. He's gonna say, hey, I want you to go over to that person and serve them in a way that is completely inconvenient to you. And it's gonna feel crazy. But all of it's worship. All of it's an act of saying, God, I give myself over to you. And that only comes worship. Now, as I was writing this talk, I thought, how do we end this really powerfully? How do we have like a real goosebump moment at the end of this talk, right? I thought, do we all need to stand up and shout? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, let's all stand up and say on the count of three, let's shout, ah, you know? Think about it. Think about the walls in your life and everyone shout. And I thought, yeah, that would be silly. We might have goosebumps for a moment, but it's actually not gonna do much. See, because here's what God longs for you. He longs for you to hear his voice and follow and act on it. See, more, most of you in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, have actually forgotten more sermons than people have heard in their life. It's not a matter of needing more wisdom or needing more information or needing more support. In fact, some of you are just filled with all kinds of knowledge and wisdom and are just sitting on it. See, Joshua could have easily heard this and just sat on it and said, cool, that's a cool strategy. Let's think about that for a little bit. Let me pray about blowing my trumpets. And you know what would happen? A week later, he'd be like, what was that thing that God asked of me? See, what I'm actually interested in is not having another goosebump moment where everyone gets hyped up for a moment and has like a powerful experience, although I love those and we will continue to have those. And I think they're beautiful and they're necessary to encourage us and elevate us and keep us moving. But what I think God wants more than ever in our worship is just consistency. Will I move? When he speaks, will I go? When he says, blow the trumpet, will I blow it? When he says, hey, when you need to give, give. When he says, forgive, forgive. When he says, love, love. When he says, make the phone call, make the phone call. When he says, go, go. And so I actually wanna get really practical this morning in our last few minutes here. Two weeks ago at Humanity, we started a new practice where we set our intentions for the month, where we decided this is what we were going to give ourselves to over the next four weeks. And we're gonna be doing it every month for the next year. And we said, here's the kingdom intention that I am gonna give my life towards, love, freedom, hope, joy, whatever it is. And then we decided, here's a person that I'm going to engage this with, and here's the spiritual practice that I am going to engage in. In fact, if you didn't get one of those cards right now, I'd love for you just to raise your hand, and one of our team members are gonna give them to you right now, so you can just raise your hand. We'd love to just pass those out, because every single month in our gatherings and in our humanity group, so if you've been in a humanity group, you got one. If you were here the first of the month, you got one, and so just keep your hands raised. We wanna have every single person have one of these, engage them, because this is going to be like a new practice with us here at Humanity because I am longing for us to live lives of worship that are not just raise my hand and have a good time and like have goosebumps and have a powerful moment. I'm interested in us living lives of worship. That with our family, at work, at school, when we come home, we're worshiping with our intentions. It's always frustrating me when people say, worship wasn't that good this morning. I'm like, it doesn't matter, we weren't worshiping you. 
See, because worship is me surrendering and saying, I'm gonna give you everything. I'm gonna lay it all down. I'm gonna have, every, I'm just gonna, my intentions are focused on you. So those of you who have that card in front of you, if you notice, we've just declared, here's my kingdom intention for the month and here's who it will be and here's the spiritual practice that I'm going to engage in. And here's what I'd like for you to do as we close out this time. I'd like for you to find one or two other people around you and I would like for you just to talk through how has my worship been over the last two weeks? Not from a space of shame. If you're like, oh, I totally forgot about that card. I, I don't even remember. Don't worry about it, right? But this is the type of worship that I believe God is calling us into that will shake walls. It's not, for us today, it's not gonna be a momentary emotional shout. It's gonna be, will I remain faithful to pursuing him every single day? Will I give myself from Monday through Saturday to living out these kingdom intentions with the people that I love? Will I give myself to the practices that will actually move me towards wholeness? So what I'd love for you to do is I'd like for you to find one or two other people around you. And if you have already declared your kingdom intention for the month, I'd like for you just to check in with that person and just say, hey, here's how it's going. Here's what I've been up to. Here's what I've been experiencing. And if you haven't, this is an opportunity for you to pick one and to say, hey, for the next two weeks, for the next two weeks of October, it's crazy that we're halfway through October, is I'm gonna give myself to this act of worship. I am gonna declare hope over my life. I'm gonna declare freedom over my life and I'm going to pursue him through one spiritual practice. It might be, I'm gonna pray for five minutes every single day. You know what, I just, I just read a study this week that said the number one determining factor in someone's spiritual growth is whether or not they pray four days a week for five minutes. That's the number one determining factor if someone actually moves and grows in their spiritual journey. So these practices, as we seek Jesus, they work. So this is a moment where we as an army are coming together saying, I'm gonna shake the walls in my life and I need you with me. And here's how I'm gonna be shaking my walls over the next 15 days. And will I give myself to them? So take about four minutes, find someone around you. If someone's like awkwardly sitting there by themselves, pull them in and have a conversation. And I'd love for you to, pray. If, you're, if you're comfortable with it, pray with one another. Pray with one another over these things and we'll come back together. If you're online, hop on the chat and jump in with our host, Daniel, and have this conversation online about what your spiritual intention is, what you're giving yourself towards. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.